I thought on the way to church today of a scripture that said, Many are called, few are chosen. God in his infinite wisdom and knowledge puts everything together. And he takes chosen vessels to stand at a particular time to speak to not only his children, but those that are looking to find a relationship with Jesus Christ. Our special speaker today was probably chosen. This service was put together probably unaware that it was Palm Sunday. Unaware that we're entering the most holy week of the year. And speaking of that, I hope that we're all setting aside a season, a time during this week to reflect on the greatest gift, and that was the gift of Jesus Christ. Rick Edmonds has been called of the Lord, and he's been chosen to do what not every preacher has been called to do. He does as much, if not more, outside the four walls of the church as he does in. We think preachers are supposed to stand in the pulpit, do their 42 and a half minutes on Sunday morning, and then get ready for the next Sunday. Rick is not of that caliber. He's been called to do much more, been chosen for a special work. He serves in our state legislature. He may not even want me to say all this, and I'm just going to take another 10 seconds. But we have a very special chosen vessel of the Lord. And I just know beyond any shadow of a doubt that God's called him to this pulpit for today, for me and for you. And I want you now to open your heart and receive the word of the Lord through his messenger, Rick Edmonds. Would you help me welcome him to this pulpit? Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Man, I tell you what, what, what about the worship this morning? Why We don't have to wait till next Sunday, right? Come on, we can do better than that. I want you to just give it up for that worship team. They did a phenomenal job today. Amen? Shouting to God with a voice of triumph. You know, if I was a Pentecostal today, Pastor George... I'm a now I'm a Baptist, okay? So uh, I'm sort of one of those mixed up Baptists. I'm kind of a Babda Baptocostal kind of guy. But if I was a Pentecostal today after that worship, I'd start running. I'm going to tell you, I'd just start running for the Lord. Is there a runner in the house this morning? I mean, I just kind of want to shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Is that all right? I just want to be a fool for Jesus today, man. I am so excited to be able to bring the word this great week. And I'm so thankful to be at this church, and I know that Cindy and I would say today, if we lived in Winsboro or anywhere close, I know where we'd be in church over Sunday. We'd be right here at Life Church is where I promise you I'd be right here, because there's some life in this place. Amen? Come on, let's give the Lord a shout of praise. Amen? That's better. Better, better, better. Better. Awesome. This is what the scripture says. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, and on the way he took twelve his twelve aside. He said, we're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. He'll be mocked and flogged and crucified. Oh, but on the third day, he will be raised to life. Come on, church, life, church. He'll be raised to life. Isn't that what we celebrate today? 
Man, we don't serve a dead Savior that's somewhere in a grave somewhere. I promise you I've been there to every site that people have sort of rumored that might be the place of the burial of Jesus. But I'm going to tell you, there's not a remainder of his bones that are there because he's not dead, but he is Uh, He's alive. Amen. I'm glad I got a witness in the house today. I feel the Spirit of the Lord upon us today. Now listen, the Lord's going to teach you something. I almost want to go Motown on you today, okay? You know, there's not a valley low enough. There's not a river wide enough. There's not a mountain high enough that would keep Jesus away from you. He's there to meet you, and He's here to meet you, by the way, not historical Jesus but a live Jesus right now that sat down at the right hand of the Father. He's ready to meet you right where you are. And by the way, he knows every one of our troubles. Now, I struggle with my troubles. I'm struggling with my troubles right now. And I want you to know I'm trying to preach to myself today to know that whatever my greatest need. Now, church, I want you to hear this today. Whatever your greatest need is, it is time for you to trust him and to raise a brand new hallelujah. To raise a brand new hallelujah this morning. I, I, I don't always title, but I'm going I'm to preach to you a funeral message today. I'm going to bring a funeral message to you today. In fact, I preached this message uh, for the very first time about two weeks ago. Because I wrote this message. I've only lived in three places, basically, with at least three people groups in my life. My mom and my dad, who are in heaven now. I'm an only child. They, I did everything with them. And then when I was a child, I married a child bride right over here on the front. And I've lived with her now for over 40 years. But when I went to pastor a church, Pastor George, in Tampa, Florida, I had a single gentleman, an an old bachelor at that time, his wife had died of cancer, to invite me to come live in his house. I didn't have anywhere to live, didn't have anywhere to rent. And he gave me the upstairs of his house uh, from that, just asked me on the front, never met him before, walked up on the front of the church when I was, you know, I received the call. I felt like I was supposed to be the pastor of the church. He walked up. I'd never met him. He'd never met me. I didn't even know his name. He said, where are you going to stay? And I said, well, I don't have anywhere to stay. He goes, are you going to stay at my house? Here's the key. And now almost 20 years later, he died just about two weeks ago. The family called me back to come do. I don't go back often because you don't want to interfere with anybody. I had to go back for this one. And I want you to know something. When I got back to the house, The same security code, 1501, was the same security code he gave me in uh, 1995. Isn't that something? He gave me the keys to his house. He gave me the security code to his house. He gave me the place at the country club that I could eat and play golf anytime I wanted to on 1501. I never forgot it. But I'm here today to tell you, about somebody that did far more than give you the keys to a house. He's giving you the keys to life itself. And today I want to talk to you about if there's no resurrection, then there's no Christianity. Now come with me, church, this morning. If there's no resurrection, you want to know what we're paving? We're excited this Sunday. The next, these next two services that's going to come up, if we're excited about pointing to the cross, Man, what it ought to be next Sunday in this house. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to challenge you. Pastor Kevin ought not even get to preach next Sunday. It ought to be so exciting in here. It ought to be such a fervor in this place. There ought to be so many guests and friends that you brought here that he can't preach. He'd just give an invitation to people that would believe in a living Savior. That's what ought to happen in this place right here next Sunday. So I challenge you. 
if there's not another church in the area that will talk about the critical element. Now, let me share with you sidebar. Why in the world am I bringing this much? Because there's a few things in life that we cannot waver on. We can't waver on them. You know, we, we, you know, you mentioned, I'm not going to go into politics, but I serve in the legislature. We waver on stuff all the time. We compromise on things all the time. And boy, I'm going to tell you, we, we in America right now are confused as we've ever been. I mean, we're confused. We don't know when life begins, and we really don't know when it ends. We, we don't even know if there's a difference between male and females anymore. I'm sorry I'm messing with you, but I'm just, you know, I'm not confused, but I, I got a pretty good idea what I am. I, I, I pretty got a pretty good idea. And I'm, so I don't mean that vindictively. I'm just telling you, just we're a little bit confused. Well, let me just tell you something. There have been people that have criticized and questioned the gospel. And they have questioned one particular thing of the gospel more than any other thing, and that is the subject matter that we're going to move upon this morning that's found in 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection. Because the resurrection is a problem for the world. See, a lot of people would like to say all religions lead to something. They lead to heaven, ultimately lead to eternal life, lead to a life after this life. And we got all kinds of folks that have studied for now hundreds and hundreds of years. But there's not anyone that has built everything on the subject matter of the resurrection. Because if there is no resurrection, Jesus is the greatest hoax and we are the biggest fools that have ever lived. And if we're not fools, we're liars. If we really don't believe in the resurrection, we ought not be here today. We ought to be doing something else. We ought to just be frying those catfish because we're wasting our time if we don't believe in the subject matter of the resurrection. No Christianity is without it. We can't be Christians without the resurrection. I'm going to read to you this morning. i got so much that I wanted to spend time with, but I'll move forward. Perhaps no one has said it more eloquently than C.S. Lewis wrote in 1947 in a book titled Miracles. And here's what he said. Now, I want you to listen carefully, especially some of these young men and women. I want you to listen to it because you're going to be challenged with this the rest of your life. And here's what C.S. Lewis, if you haven't read anything by C.S. Lewis, and I'm not a big reader, but if you're going to spend any time don't, and not waste your time on a worthless book, pick up something C.S. Lewis wrote. It's old and gone and dated and all that stuff, but I promise you, you won't waste your time. He said, the New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in all the history of the universe. This subject had never been challenged like this before. He is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. He has forced open the door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has forced open the door. The stone has been rolled away. He forced open the door, but it wasn't just a stone. It was the capturing factor of death. Man, death is something all of us, most of us have great fear about it, or at least our question marks. And when death arrives at our family's door, if we don't have faith in Christ, we have nothing, absolutely nothing. C.S. Lewis said this, he has met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. This is the beginning of the new creation of a new chapter in cosmic history that has been opened. Wow. Think about this. No more has death has this grip 
on the spiritual life of human beings. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want to preach this funeral message to you this morning. Remember, when we're talking about this, we're going to look at the resurrection because no resurrection, no Christianity. So let's look at the factors here, and I'd like to break it down in real simple of the way I can understand it. Now, first, I want to talk about the clarity about resurrection. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 15. Moreover, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, and look at this, in which you, say it, stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed it in vain. For I delivered to you, uh, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture. And that he was buried and that he arose again the third day, according to the Scripture. And that he was risen and seen by Cephas and by the twelve. He'd be, he's been seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen by James and then by the apostles. And then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. Man, the clarity about this subject matter. There is no wavering on this subject. You don't see Paul, who basically now is the guy that's the Christian killer. He's the guy that had no faith. He's the Jew of all Jews. But you know, when he was struck down, he had a life-changing experience. And he understands graphically what it means to be lost and blind and a loser. And guess what? He was awakened not out of sleep. He was awakened out of a life that was away from God. Religion wouldn't save him. He knew the Scripture. In fact, many have said he memorized the entire Old Testament. Man, I have trouble memorizing a couple of verses in Psalms. This guy was brilliant. And so he writes in real clear terms, real simple terms. He said, moreover, brethren, I declare to you that gospel which I preach, you stand on this. You have to stand on something. If you don't stand on something, you'll sink away. And you know what? The church has got to stand on this. You know why? Because this is the way we were saved. Palm Sunday was what? That time when Jesus Christ, they waved the palm branches. Why? Because this is the, they didn't understand it all. Some of you today, you don't understand it all. You may not be a theologian today, but let's break it down simply. The world was projecting a Messiah. They needed a Messiah. They needed somebody to rescue them. Anybody need some, some rescuing factor to come into your life? Let me just tell you, Jesus was the Messiah, but they were looking for Messiah. And so as they walked around for three and a half years, they saw Messiah interacting or engaging with society. He didn't have any trouble with anything. If he had problems with water, he walked on it. If he had problems with water, he turned into wine. If he had problems with somebody that couldn't see, he took the blind man. and made him He could take skin that was ruined by the greatest disease ever known at that particular time. In fact, it was so contagious that they took the lepers and placed them outside in a colony where no one could ever touch them. And Jesus reached out and touched and basically said, go and wash yourself. He goes and washes himself. Guess what? His skin was like a baby's. They watched all this for three and a half years. They saw it all. They knew something was absolutely not just a little different, but this was the God-man. Do you know Jesus' favorite term about himself was the Son of Man? 
The Son of Man came alive. Let me just tell you, in Winsboro today, did you know the message that all this region needs is to know that the Son of Man has come here to seek and to save those who are lost. That's what he said, to be saved. Now, those terms are, they're not real popular, are they? When we start talking about there's one way to heaven, boy, that's, that, people don't like that. It's a very controversial gospel. It's in your face. You mean Buddha can't get me to heaven? No, Buddha can't get me to heaven. How about Islam? It's all over the world. What is it? It's a false religion. Yes, I just said it. Put it on YouTube. That's just the way it is. There's only one way to heaven. I'm sorry. There's only one way. And it's so clear here in the gospel message. Here, as, as Paul is referring back to the experience, he said, he said, you've got to have something you can stand on. You've got to have something that you've been saved by. So Jesus comes in now. This is Palm Sunday. We're pointing forward. We're moving forward. Jesus is coming to be crucified. They took him and flogged him. You know, when we say we see these pictures, I remember when the movie The Passion came out years ago. And we, we rented theaters all over the country. And we gave free tickets away for people to say. And you know what? People went away and they said, well, gosh, we don't like that movie. Many people went, I don't like it. I had a guy tell me this week, he said, I've never seen The Passion. And I said, why? And he said, because it was too grotesque. It was too gruesome. Somehow they took, and, and Hollywood did a, sort of an avid job of trying to, uh, to, to try to put on screen what had happened when Jesus was beaten within an inch of his life. Those cat of nine tails with stones or, or, or blades of things that they had on the end that wrapped around his body, they say that his inner, his inner organs were visible. Am I being grotesque? I probably but the reality is that Jesus gave his life everything that he had. There was nothing left. Man, some people try to pronounce Jesus as a soft guy or, you know, he was just sort of meandering through time. This is the man's man of all time that gave his life that you might have life. We're pointing towards the cross. They didn't pin him up. They nailed. They may have wrapped others up with pieces of leather, but that's not what the Scripture said they did to Jesus. They, take, they took literally spikes. that We say nails, probably the wrong word. They took real spikes and placed them in between his hands and nailed him to the cross with his feet. They took him and tried to sedate him and, and gave him something on the end of a sponge. He rejected it so that he could be clear-headed and clear-minded and be able to pronounce all the way to the end of the cross. It is finished. I have done everything I need to do. He looked death straight in the face and said, you cannot defeat me. You can go ahead and take me now for three days because it's not going to matter. You see, when we look at the clarity of the resurrection, Jesus didn't back down. He didn't back down. You know why? Because he clearly understood who he was. Man, I'm so, I'm so thankful to preach the truth today. I'm so thankful that I don't have to change the message and compromise today. I'm so thankful I'm in a church house today amongst people today that would say, you know what, when I was a boy or when I was an adult, I recognized the pathway that I was on, and I recognized I couldn't save myself. And somehow I had to humble myself. You may not have done that yet you got to humble yourself and say, you know, I am weak, but he is strong. I've got to believe the Bible is what it, it says, what it says, and Jesus who he says he is. He's not a good man. He's not a good prophet. He wasn't a, just a good teacher. He just didn't have a good idea. He has the only saving message that can take a wretched heart and change the world. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That's who he is. 
Come on, am I in a church house this morning? Then give him a hand of praise this morning. Come on. But not only do you see in this funeral message, do you see the clarity, but I want you to see the certainty of it. Flip them. If you haven't opened to 1 Corinthians, you're saying, where is this yelling Baptist preacher? Cindy always tells me, you know, you leave and people think you're mad at them. Well, you know, I'm not mad. I'm just intense. You know, I'm, I'm intense. I just believe it. I've set my life on this. You know what? If I can get excited and I do about LSU football, I'm an LSU guy to the bone. Man, we can't beat Alabama, and I still believe in them. You know what I'm saying? Doggone it. I'm going to tell you one thing, and I don't like Nick Saban anymore. Let me just get this clear. All of you say, well, we hope that if LSU doesn't win, not me. I'm done with Alabama. I'm tell you, I'm an LSU guy to the bone. We yell and scream at the, I saw a Bama fan over there while I got, I saw an A on the back of your car when you came in. God bless. In Jesus' name, I pray for healing, pray for removal of the bondage. Man, we shout at the TV in the Edmonds house. And I know your little brother, he ain't got no sense. I'm going to tell you, huh? We went to, we went to Omaha. Let me tell you what, we, we, we have fun. Believing in the Tigers. Well, let me just tell you, if I can get excited about LSU, and I will and I can, how much more on the week before Resurrection Sunday? Woo! Can I do that? I ought to get excited at Life Church, believing in what? The certainty of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, and I want to preach, but I've just given you a story. Now, if Christ is preached... That he's been raised from the dead. How do so many of you say that there's not a resurrection of the dead? Keep looking. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ, look at this church, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith, church, is empty as well. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. In fact, he, the fact that the dead do not rise. Man, what a mess. How certain I, am I of this? Man, one of my favorite stories is of a, of a group of friends that Jesus was really close to. I'm so glad that Jesus had relationships with people. He knew them and he was friendly with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Remember the story of Lazarus and John? Man, the two sisters, you know, if you go back and, and they had anointed Jesus, Martha was back there fussing because she was working in the kitchen. Where's my fish frying lady? Where, where is she? I saw. Where, I know I saw her somewhere. She's got the, the leopard spots on over here. Yeah. See, I, I, I don't remember everything. But I, you give me leopard spots and a catfish, I can remember a woman. You know what I'm saying? I'm telling you, I, I can do that. Huh? Well, Martha was back in the kitchen frying fish or something. She's fussing because Mary was out there laying down at the feet of Jesus and broke her perfume off and was rubbing his feet and wiping with her hair. And Martha's going, what are you doing? We've got to prepare. I mean, that's, that's how close Jesus was, right, with these. Now, if you'll ramp up a little bit, their brother is dead. Now, I, want, I have a reason that you've got to see this this morning. It's really great. Jesus loved this guy. He loved these two sisters. I mean, they were tight. They were family, just like Pastor George would reach everybody. Don't you love Pastor George? He knows everybody in the place. You know, every one of your kids by name, every one of your grandkids by name. Pastor George, I just want to be like you when I grow up. I'm going to tell you, huh? 
Man, come on, Kevin. Jesus knew people by name, had relationship, loved them, cried over them. Lazarus, his friend, is dead. That's not a good story, is it? But when the news got to Jesus, I want you, are you with me? Jesus didn't run up when he found out, oh, Lazarus, your friend, is dead. Did you know what Jesus did? Nothing. The Bible says he stayed two more days where he was. How do you explain it? What do we do when we hear somebody's died that's real close to us? Family member, child, mother, father. What do you do? Most of you get an airplane ticket or you get in your car and boom, you're gone. Right? Isn't that what we do? It's what I do. As soon as I can get there. Jesus waited two days. And then he told him, okay, let's go. Why did he do that? I think I got an answer. Because of the certainty of the resurrection. Death never bothered him. Now, when he arrives, the sisters, they're not happy. Anybody ever seen a mad woman in church? Huh? One thing we know this is you women, you ladies, you got good memories. You don't ever forget anything. I've been married to this one for 45 years. Let me tell you something. She remembers things we did in the year one that I did wrong, and she reminds me of them from time to time. I don't even remember what year one was, right? These sisters, they're not happy. And they, they basically have a dialogue. And really the dialogue is, is basically they're friends and this is the Lord. And they may not understand all about Messiah and all that. But they look up face to face and say, if you'd have been here. If you just would have been here, doggone it. I'll put it in southern language. If you'd have showed up when you were supposed to. If you weren't out doing something else, the closest friend you ever had on this planet wouldn't be dead. Now, I don't know if she said it exactly that way, but I got a pretty good idea it wasn't friendly. And when it was all said and done, then he's ready to go and do something about it. And they warn him again, wait a minute, Jesus. He's been dead for four days. He, I, I learned it in the King James. It says, and he yet stinketh. Does that make sense to us? Four days dead, you're probably not in good shape, right? So Jesus is too late. He's stinking in the grave. He's stinking dead. I mean, that's where we are. And Jesus would never blink an eye. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. I want you to stay. Are you still with me? And Jesus called him by name. By name. Wrapped in a grave like a mummy. And he by name said, Lazarus, come forth. I heard an old preacher say, you know why he used his name by name? Not only because of the relationship. You know why he didn't say come forth? Because he said everybody that was dead would have come forth. Everybody. They'd all come forth. Everybody. That might have been a better miracle, you know. Lazarus, come forth. Where are you right now with your faith? Where is it with your problem? What's the biggest problem you got? Is your health? Maybe you've got the phone call. Maybe you heard the C word. Maybe for you it's death. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a broken family member or a child. That you're, maybe it's a prodigal son that's gone away. There's not a prodigal son that's too far out the, that you can't look out the window and know that when Jesus speaks into him, he'll come down that road. And you'll be able to draw him back.